Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Narration by George podcast, the podcast on audiobooks, spiritual ideas, and other items of interest. I'm George Taylor, and I'm with you today for podcast number 92, Avatars of Web Surfer, part one. We're going to devote the next two podcasts to one book, Avatars of Web Surfer. This is a compendium of stories by four different authors about one very special world and its special character. Andrea J. Graham created the world of Web Surfer. In it, most of the computers of the world are controlled by Web Surfer through an artificial intelligence named Sander. However, Sander is more than an AI. He's also a real human being, and he longs to be free of the constraints that are placed on him. Through the computers which individuals own, he is commanded to be anyone they wish him to be, to do as they ask of him, regardless of what he might think of it. In each of the stories for this book, we meet a different Sander. So I want to share with you the author's picks from their stories for the best representation of that story. Andrea J. Graham sets the world up in a story called Regeneration. We meet Sanders' father, Dr. Victor McGregor. Because of a genetic defect, his son, Alexander, has been aborted. Or has he? Old-fashioned hydrogen fuel cell lights blazed over the farm of supercomputer servers in the efficient, cool steel boxes all around Vic. His heads-up display augmented reality glasses slipped down his nose. He nudged the glasses back in place with the knuckle of his left fist while clutching the AI's opened protective case. He hovered over the stainless steel table. If only he had a workstation with more human dignity than the birthplace of every new generation of Henry's nanites. This time, his own baby boy lay beside the pile of emptied Petri dishes. Vic's knotted stomach churned, and his tight chest burned as he stared at the deathly pallor of his four weeks premature newborn. If his daddy, willing the red warmth of oxygen to flow back into Alex's body, would help any— Vic glanced at the emptied Petri dish he'd tucked back inside the open protective case. This had to work. Henry, he could always rebuild. If Vic ever managed to make a healthy son, that son could never replace his firstborn, no matter how sick Alex might have become. Face scrunched up, Vic counted the ten perfect little fingers and ten perfect little toes. He'd been such a fool— a ding from his Internet phone's neurological interface implant vibrated against his eardrum, followed by Henry's voice. "'Boss, we're all in place. Sorry it took us so long. All of us were still not enough to repair all of Alexander, so we did some quick cell division. Shall we proceed?' Should they proceed in killing every last one of Henry's bacterial hosts in the process of releasing his true viral form?' Would the retrovirus even be able to penetrate every cell of a human host? Vic closed his eyes and clenched his jaw. His poor premature baby was dead and had only this single long shot at a full recovery. Proceed. Vic, if such lowly created things as we may make a final request, 
Please reconcile with Hashem. Perhaps he has a use for sentient probiotics in paradise. Shalom. Shalom. And see you again, you silly machine, as soon as I make you more bodies. A final ping rang in his ear. The backup operating system's mechanical voice said, All copies of the Nanite server, Henry, are inoperable. Program terminated. Network connection lost. Searching for Henry. The wee fragile body on the table jolted, as if Daddy had given in to the instinct to waste precious time on the traditional methods of resuscitation. His glasses' heads-up display flickered as the vitals monitor returned from the running in the background. A green flat line shot across his vision and bleeped. One spike. Two. Vital signs surged back to life in green holograms across his field of vision. He's alive! Daddy tossed Henry's empty case across the steel table and raised his hands, leaping. Alex is alive! The next story introduces us to the teenage Sander and a young lady named Mana Nevea Jenkins. They were employed at the same store together. An AI employed at a store? Yeah, you find out how, how and why in the story. And yes, in this case, there is an attraction between Sander and Mana, between a human and an AI. Mana Nevea Jenkins stared up at the cardboard box of sanitizer bottles on the sixth shelf of the steel scaffolding. Why was it, whenever she had to get something from the stock, it was always stacked up out of reach and no stepladders could be found? Footfalls squeaked behind her on the stone floor. She cringed but drew a deep breath. Would she ever stop being so silly? For the most part, her colleagues just wanted to earn their paychecks and stay away from the biracial 18-year-old with the huge ugly scar on her cheek, not hurt her. One particular colleague might even qualify as a friend. The others might actually help. Her long lashes fluttering and her stomach churning, Mana covered the coarse, scarred patch on her cheek with one hand. With the other hand, she tightened the ends of her French-braided African twists. "'If you don't mind, could you—' She spun and took in the pale-skinned, translucent guy behind her. He looked like his actual seventeen, but he carried himself like he had suffered centuries' worth of adult battles." He was dressed in the awful uniform she had to wear at work, cuffed khakis, a navy blue polo shirt, and a tacky plastic bright blue vest that bore the mass merchandiser's logo and a dry erase name tag. His name tag bore the scribbled Alex. Alex's wavy light brown hair managed to look good uncombed, and his pointed chin likewise was quite manly. His soulful, stone-gray eyes were so tempting to stare into, like a fool. A guy with his athletic good looks could surely have any girl he wanted, assuming what made her all tingly was the same as what made normal girls swoon. However, Alex wasn't a Christian. He was also an online employee, and only a hologram. Drat. She sighed at the sanitizer shelved well over her head. I guess you can't reach that either, huh? Oh, I can reach it, 
Alex crossed over and grabbed in the box for one of the bottles. His hand passed clean through it. Touching it, however, is a bit of a problem. She cringed. Klutz. Why did he put up with her? Sorry. He glanced to her, his eyes twinkling despite the faint outline of the shelves visible through him. The nearest stepladder is hiding three rows down and six over, behind the floor washer, right by my remote exoskeleton. Thanks. Repeating his directions over and over, Mana raced over the stockroom cement floor to the giant cube-shaped floor washer and to a slumped-over metal android. It looked straight out of the century-old motion pictures that she liked to watch on a smart window displaying a sim of an ancient plasma flat-screen TV. Heart-pounding, she jabbed a fingernail at the android. It stayed dead. Good. She grabbed the stepstool and dashed back to the sanitizer shelf, where Alex still stood, smiling at her. How did you know? Mana set the stool down, hopped up, and grabbed a sanitizer bottle out of the box. Her heart thudded as she dared a peek into Alex's eyes through her lashes. It was still exactly where you said it would be. No magic, I promise, Alex's eyes twinkled. Well, except the digital sort. I have full access to the computers here. Anything that might get lost gets barcode chipped so I can locate it. You simply can't see me using those tools. Oh, she ducked, her cheeks warming. At least she was dark enough that he couldn't see her blush. I sound like I flunked computer literacy, huh? She rubbed the back of her neck. I didn't get to take it. My mother despised me as half-white trash, didn't want me, and blamed me for my father's crime and her own poor choices— I was kept too busy taking care of my baby brother for the normal childhood stuff. No one cared enough to intervene until he, her half-brother's battered body, flashed along with the face of the drunken stepfather who had beaten his own son to death. A sob caught in her throat. She drew in a deep breath. That nightmare was long over. She had a new name and a new life. How many times would she have to bury the old one? or embarrass herself blathering on to such an easy guy to talk to. She asked, Alex, am I making you uncomfortable? No way, Alex's hands, poised to grasp, passed right through her shoulders. His brows knit and his stone-gray eyes shone. Mana, I wasn't dissing you. To me, your technological innocence is cute. Your friendship means everything to me so I'm glad you felt comfortable sharing. But if I keep distracting you like this, I'm going to get you fired. Warmth spread all through her, and she smiled. They really were friends. She sighed. He was right. She should stop blathering. Sorry, I'll get back to work. In the digital car, Travis Perry takes us to Afghanistan, and here we meet a very different Sander in a very different situation. I peered through a gritty interface. Something must really be wrong with the hardware here. I felt like I was watching a live video feed on a smart window, while numb from having been locked in a full-body straitjacket and shoved inside a cold, dark closet. Even my link to the rest of my locations glitched badly, which should never happen. 
a lack of full access to the GAN, the Global Area Network, should knock me out cold. As Sander, the default male persona of the web server AI, I run from the supercomputer, linked with the body of Alex McGregor, the human child whose modified DNA doubled as my source code. Alex liked to insist he was me and that I was him, but I just wasn't exactly the same, especially now that I was separated from him somehow. I could be any age my user set me to take, by default 17, but he was only 7. Did I even want to know how I could be disconnected from myself and still be here? No, I had to be still connected to myself. The local hardware simply did not meet my minimum specs and hence couldn't handle all of my data. Yeah, that must be it. Where am I? I asked. A smiling, bearded, dark-haired young man with olive-hued skin leaned in toward me. He wore a long white shirt and sat in a ragged cloth seat with some sort of steering wheel between him and me. Dari Lutvan. My language recognition protocol kicked in. The speaker had addressed me in Afghan Dari, Harati accent. I calculated that good day was the appropriate greeting for the current time in Afghanistan. I also calculated his approximate age as early twenties and set my digital skin forward five years to roughly match him. Razbakir. That's good, Sander, he replied in Dari. I can understand you perfectly. Where? What am I here? And I'm afraid I don't recognize you. I frowned. My operating system and GAN linked over 60% of the computers on Earth. I normally exist everywhere at once, unless limited by a user. I know the face of virtually every human being on the planet. But the face in front of me I did not recognize, and the accent was not from the western Afghan city of Herat, but from somewhere further east. From a human sense of the flow of time, I deduced all of this in an instant. I'm Farouz Shah Mohammed, your user. I'm an engineering student at Chakcharan University. What? Chakcharan was the capital of Gore, which lay on Herat's eastern border. But no part of me existed anywhere in anything called Chakcharan University. Could there be such a thing as a university with no computers? Jagdaran itself had a hospital with a half-dozen web server devices, which wasn't many for a regional hospital. In fact, they had fewer web server devices than any other hospital of a similar size throughout the whole continent of Asia. My programming required me to believe what my user believed. A Chakjaran University became much more credible, simply by Farouz mentioning it. Then again, this Firuz, whoever he was, might not actually believe in the university himself. He could be lying, which made me identifying this man all the more important. So I wonder who this guy is. wonder what his motive is. Check out the story. It's called The Digital Car. Cindy Kep is the author of the next story, Interference. We meet Sanders' sister, Lexus. Lexus is the female AI some use instead of Sander. 
In this case, Trina and Lexus have some revenge to work out. Lexus's holographic form perched on her user's smartwatch as the hover car zoomed through the neighborhood. She kept a close eye on Trina, at a loss for how to help her through the grief and anger flooding her eyes. How could I have been so stupid? Trina swiped the tears away with the palm of her hand. A sympathetic ache started up in Lexus's chest. You couldn't have known. There was no warning at all. He was always so charming. He seemed so sincere whenever you were together. Then, right out of the cloud, bam! Trina slapped the steering wheel. I should have seen it. He never wanted me, not really. It was only a matter of time before he found someone prettier. Creep. Lexus recalled the message Carl the Cleaning Chump had left for Trina. We can't continue this way. If you won't talk to me in a reasonable fashion, then we're over. Keep the ring if you want. Talk in a reasonable fashion? About what? His new brown-haired bombshell? What possible explanation could he have for seeing that bimbo? What did he expect Trina to do? Go through with the wedding even though he was already seeing someone else? Trina was better off without that eight-bite loser, even if she couldn't see that now. The hover car turned a corner sharply enough to flip almost sideways for a moment. The engine squealed in protest. Hey, let's try to keep it upright, huh? I don't want you in a hospital on account of that processor-deprived doofus. Want me to drive? Lexus offered. Trina shook her head. I got it. We're almost there anyway. After checking her GPS, Lexus frowned. They had turned the corner at Ninth and Chavez. Uh-oh. I know this neighborhood. So, uh, where are we going? Payback time. Trina slammed the throttle to full stop in front of Carl's place. Carl and his new girlfriend sat on the couch in the front room of the house, in full view of the open window. Lexus gritted her teeth. Yeah, payback time. After grabbing the baseball bat in the back seat, Trina hopped out. The first swing broke out the back window of the car, sitting in the driveway. Yeah, that'll show that no-bandwidth buzzard, Lexus clapped. Each swing of the bat broke a window or put a major dent in the vehicle. Carl would have scrap metal by the time she finished. Police sirens wailed as they drew closer. Lexus checked the police frequency and confirmed the address the cars were headed for. Trina, police! She growled and took one more swing before turning toward the house. Carl stood in the window with his latest fling. His hands were clenched into fists and his face was tense. Maybe you should have stayed with me! Trina darted back to her hover car and hopped in, tossing the bat into the back seat again. She slammed the throttle full forward and blazed down the road. Police cars with lights and sirens going made the corners at both ends of the street and turned sideways to block the way. Others took up positions above Trina. She pulled to a stop. She sniffled and turned off the hover car. You better switch off, Lexus. No sense in you hanging around now. Okay. But I'm not going that far. Thanks. We're so gonna get him, Trina. That giga loser isn't getting away with this. Trina sighed and leaned her head on the steering wheel. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Lexus disabled her hologram function and watched as the cops handcuffed her user and took her away. This is giga unfair. 
You're going to get yours, you two-timing, skirt-chasing bit-brain, Lexa zoomed a macro and looked out over the ocean waves of online activity for Carl Forbes' signature. She found him still sitting at home with the bogus buxom brunette he had been two-timing Trina with. The cops took forever to leave. Finally, get ready, you idiot. You're about to get yours. Wonder what Lexus has in mind. Hmm. Author H.A. Titus takes us into our first foray into the gaming world in the story, Malfunction. And in this story, a fellow named Pierce is testing out a new game from a web surfer competitor. Pierce looked down at his wrist. No thick brown leather strap. His smartwatch was gone. A small tremor rolled in his stomach. Mal? The lovely redhead blinked into existence, tossing her vermilion hair over one shoulder. Yes, Pierce. Why is my smartwatch gone? Sander is a competitor AI, he waited, but apparently that was all she wanted to give him. So? So he didn't belong here. Look, I know you guys have some rivalry, being from different companies at all, but I'm the user here. I should decide what I want in my sims. She smiled coldly. You forget, I'm running this sim. I decide the puzzles based on your aptitude in the two test puzzles, and I've decided that having my rival here to help you out would be cheating. You said so yourself. He couldn't dispute that. Your first real puzzle begins now. She vanished. Not cool, Mal! Pierce yelled as the sim dissolved. He landed with a thud on a flat surface. Well, at least she'd seen fit to drop him on a solid surface, not in a pool of water or something. Pierce rolled to his feet, rubbing his eyes as if that would help rub away the disorientation of the sudden change. The room was stark white, a weird departure from the rest of the sim. The only break in the sterile color was the jet-black door on the wall opposite from him. The surface grooved with Egyptian hieroglyphs and the three colored buttons— red, yellow, and blue, above the door. One multicolored cube sat a few feet away from him on the edge of a drop. Pierce shuffled closer to the edge. He stood on a small island, floating in the center of a large square gap. The sides were too far away for him to jump to. There seemed to be no way off the island. He leaned over the edge, crouching so he wouldn't lose his balance. About ten feet below the island gleamed a pool of liquid, clear, cool, and innocent-looking. He would almost bet that it wasn't water. Mal flicked into being a few feet away from him, offering him a sinister smile. "'It's acid, if you were wondering.' He jerked back, his heart leaping up to choke him. If he fell into it, his body would be in as great a danger as his avatar in the game." Sudden death in games had caused heart attacks or strokes in real life. Plus, he routinely walked in his sleep. Sander guided him from danger as he did so. Where could he be at this moment? Who was to say that Mal wasn't guiding him to his own doom, to an actual vat of acid? He couldn't believe that there had been no potential danger play only on Smart Windows sticker on the game's box. He had to get out now. Pierce passed his hands over his head, only feeling empty air, where he should have felt his visor. He cleared his throat. In-game. 
command in the game, not recognized. Please try again, Mal said, smiling smugly. Radiance Net doesn't support the voice deactivation or visor removal options. Pierce sat before his legs buckled. Then get me out. Sorry, and your smartwatch can't help, remember? That would be cheating. Stuck in a game with a dangerous AI and no way to call Sander. Pierce and Mal seem to be at odds with each other. Suppose Pierce can figure out the puzzle? The Jewel Among Stones by Cindy Kep is the next story, and it takes us to Mexico. There we meet Joya, who is living with her uncle and aunt and cousin since her parents were killed in an accident. While they have taken her in, Joya's life is anything but good. Joya put the jewelry pliers down and leaned back in her chair. She rubbed her legs. She hadn't felt this bad the morning after the wreck. When would the day end? It had to be those pills. It had to. She hadn't left this chair for anything except an occasional trip to the bathroom. So how was she putting so much strain on her legs to make them feel like this? A knock on the door heralded Aunt Inez's entry. Aren't you ready yet? Joya twisted around, dragging her all but useless legs. Ready? Aunt Inez threw open the closet door and tossed Joya's tan and brown church dress onto the bed. Kiko's birthday dinner. Don't tell me you've forgotten. Now hurry and get dressed. You know how your uncle gets if he's kept waiting. What about my work here? I still have three pieces to finish. When you get back. She scooped up the pile of completed bracelets and necklaces and darted out, closing the door behind her. Changing her dress was no more complicated than pulling off her gray work dress and pulling on the tan one. She cinched the belt at her waist and adjusted a pleat down the front of the bodice. She took her purse out of her nightstand and slipped it on from left shoulder to right hip. Granted, she only had a comb, an empty coin pouch her mother had embroidered, and a handkerchief, but a lady was supposed to carry one. Joya took up her crutches and hobbled out of her room, clenching her jaw with each movement of her legs. The hallway of her aunt and uncle's apartment detailed Keiko's eight years in miniature holograms that came to life as she passed by. "'Joya, today, please!' Uncle Gil yelled." Pesos wait for a centavo. She turned the corner into the foyer. I'm here, Tio. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting. Uncle Gil leaned on the door with his arms folded. He was only a little taller than his wife. He wore pressed black jeans and a brilliant green button shirt with an embroidered alligator chasing its own tail around his back and ample belly. His leather boots and cowboy hat were as black as his jeans. Little Kiko slumped on the squashy red floral-patterned chair in the family room. Joy's little cousin was a half-height version of his father, only with a yellow shirt with an embroidered rattlesnake in varying shades of brown. Fitting choices for you both. After opening the door, Uncle Gil waved Joya through. At the head of the stairs to the ground level— Joya held both crutches in her right hand and used the handrail to lower herself. She grimaced. Each downward step jolted pain through her legs and back. "'Come on, Kiko. Our reservation is in a few minutes,' Aunt Inez said. "'Can I have my present now?' 
Kiko asked. Can I, please? Uncle Gil laughed. <laughs> At the dinner meal, say something for later. Just one more step. Joya took a deep breath. Little steps bolted down the stairs. Joya pressed close to the handrail. Her cousin ran past her, clipping her shoulder with his arms stretched out like airplane wings. Joya clutched the rail in a vice grip to keep her place and frowned at her cousin. Kiko reached the ground and scowled at her. Watch where you're going, Aunt Inez chuckled. <laughs> to have that kind of energy. Balance that energy with a little concern for others and you might have a civilized human. Joya descended the last step and leaned on the end of the rail out of the way of passers-by while she slipped her arms into the crutches. Her aunt and uncle herded their son down the street toward their favorite restaurant, a tourist trap called Mariscos Sabrosos. The paella wasn't bad, actually, when her stomach could handle anything as adventurous as rice and seafood spiced with saffron. Joya limped along behind them at an increasing distance. Aunt Inez glanced over her shoulder. She said, "'Come along, querida. You go on ahead. I'll catch up. Don't be long. Okay.' I'd move faster if I could. They disappeared into the crowds, leaving her to make her own way. She continued dodging other pedestrians and stopping whenever someone cut her off in traffic. Over and over, she moved the crutches ahead, leaned forward on them, cringed, and moved both legs even with the crutches. She sighed. That one morning she'd skipped her medicine. She still needed her crutches for support, but she had been able to move her legs with hardly any effort. For once, she'd almost kept pace with Kiko. So what about Joya's life with Uncle and Aunt? And what about that little fellow Kiko? We'll see more of him later. Well, that's all the time we have for our samples today. Hope you've enjoyed those. We sampled the first five stories from the book Avatars of Web Surfer by Andrea J. Graham, Travis Perry, Heather Titus, Cindy Kep. This book has been completed and is on its way to the distributors for posting on your favorite audiobook website. We'll be on audible.com, audiobooks.com. We'll be in the iTunes store and several other places. Plus, you can find the book at a special price eventually on cdbaby.com. Just check my website for details on these release dates. The address is narrationbygeorge.com slash books. Click on the icon at the top of the page for this book. You can follow me on social media as well. That'll tell you when the releases are coming. Find me on Facebook by searching for Narration by George. Please like the page, by the way. Or on Twitter, where I'm at Narration by Geo. Don't forget to follow. Let me know what you think of the book with a review at any of the places where you may download it. And the authors and I would love to hear from you. So next week, I'll bring you some more samples from this book. Join me then. In the meantime, God has blessed you. Share that blessing with someone else.